All right, guys. Uh, so obviously this evening, uh, we're going to start talking about what's on everybody's mind, and that's going to be the NPRM. Um, you know, I'd like to kind of start off and open this up to any questions anybody has right off the get-go so that we can kind of address those as we go along. There's a bunch of new people here. Maybe we should do a quick introduction. Absolutely. So my name is Josh. I go by Cujo in the chat. Um, I'm the vice president of the FPVFC. Dave? Uh, this is Dave Messina, uh, president and CEO of FPVFC. Hello, I'm Dan, and I'm the technology and regulations director. And David's in there. He's our... Oh. Uh... Can you hear me? <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep, we can now. Little technical difficulty here. I'm David Wallace. I am the marketing director for the FTVS team. All right. So um, I'd like to open it up to any questions anybody has on, on the NPRM. And, you know, anything kind of goes. I want to address any issues anybody has from that standpoint in terms of understanding what's going on or um, anything that uh, we can help clarify. So I'm going to drop the same link that we posted on Facebook and I posted in Discord. That's going to link to our layman's guide for the NPRM. Uh, if you want, you can click in there and uh, check that out. I see a lot of people are jumping in which is perfect. Um, so any quest questions on the NPRM that we can clarify right off the um, How does this affect uh, drones that are sold for non-hobbyist purposes? So commercial drones? Yes. Okay, so it's going to affect all drones equally. So basically... Each type of uh, remote identification that they've proposed uh, kind of dictates what the drone's going to be capable of doing. So at its most basic level, you have the um, UAS or the drones without remote identification. And basically the gist of that is that if you have no remote ID, you will be restricted to an FAA uh, recognized identification area also called a FRIA. Now, a lot of these are going to be uh, AMA sites. I would presume that they're going to be the uh, leaders on applying for those. Um, but those are only going to be under the current regulation or the current proposal. Those are only going to be able to be submitted for authorization for the first 12 months. After that, there will be no new created uh, fixed flying sites or FRIAs. Um, the next level up would be the limited remote ID. And what that basically entails is that you have remote ID in your, uh, basically for your ground station, you have to be connected to the internet. And uh, in order to actually even take off, you have to be connected to the internet and broadcasting the remote ID messaging. Um, and then, uh, but on that, you're going to be limited, limited to a 400 foot, uh, radius dome. So you can fly basically 400 feet in one direction, uh, 400 feet in the other direction and 400 feet vertically. So that gives you a total area of 
800 feet across and 400 feet up. Um, then even more so, uh, standard remote identification, that's going to require the same thing as limited, where your ground station is connected to the internet and your drone actually is broadcasting through radio frequency its position. Um, both of them have to send the same messages, and those messages uh, would include the latitude, longitude of both the drone and the ground station. It would, uh, the altitude of the, the drone, your altitude, your exact position, so on and so forth. Now, that is for any drone, commercial or recreational. Um, the the caveat here is is that these drones need to be approved with the remote ID in them by the FAA. So they have to come from the manufacturer or the producer of these drones, um, and those producers need to be FAA certified with a remote ID. So. One of the nuances, one of the nuances of the proposed rules are is registration, and so we, uh, so as you look at these rules, the the current recreational and commercial regulations apply. So if you if you see in the new proposal, there's a lot said about under 250 grams or under 0.55 pounds. Uh, you know, oh, you don't have to register it. Cool. Well, if you're flying commercial, of course you do. So just be uh, be aware of things like that. Yeah, so, yep, absolutely. What other questions do we have? So, I don't think uh, there's anything about classification of airspace anymore, right? So, being in, like, middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, where it's unclassified, doesn't really matter at this point with these regulations, right? No, it does not matter. These regulations would go into effect no matter the class of airspace, no matter where you live. If you live out in the middle of the boonies, you live on top of the Rockies, doesn't matter. Um, they are all equal. Um, now, the the one thing that still is in effect is if you're going to fly in, in uh, controlled airspace, you still would have to use Lance um, for approval and then abide by your authorization that you got there. Right. This doesn't take yeah, anything right. away from regulations. It just adds more regulations. Right. What else? Okay. Um, so has everybody here read through the proposals that the FPBFC is making on this? And I'll link those here too. I do actually have a question, not so much on the regulations, but it, you know, there's so many different live streams going on and different people talking yeah. about this and that and outside of the fact that I thought the community was more mature than it is. Um, as far as there's been a lot of talk about it, this might be illegal, um, so on and so forth. Is there anything that you guys have looked at within the regulations that you think could be potentially challenged in court? So I think uh, Drone U uh, put out a live stream a couple of days ago, and they would they were looking at the potential for there to be a, a wiretapping law um i haven't had the, the time to actually 
Yeah, that's surveillance. Yeah, attack. surveillance and wiretapping. Um, so I haven't, but that's directly related to having to connect to the internet and give off your location. Um, I haven't had time to dig into that just yet. Uh, that's on my plate, but I haven't, I haven't actually physically done that yet. So it's a potential, um, but I don't know where that will lead. Right. And I think some of the other things that I've seen is, you know, the, well, hey, this is infringing on private property and lots of people touting different uh, case studies. Uh, uh, but I think those kind of all lead down a dead end as well, uh, at least from what I've gathered. So, you know, a lot of people are going to sit there and cite Cosby uh, versus the, the U.S. And that... That has some merit, but at the same time, it doesn't. It involves a taking, and where there was there was a, a physical damage to the well-being of his livestock, essentially based on these military overflights that were happening. Right. And you know, there's a little bit of a difference there, but at the same time, you know, could there be a case there? Maybe, but you're it's really pushing it. Yeah, um wouldn't FAA, that actually have to wouldn't there actually have to be damages already? I mean, so Exactly. It, it kind of would it, it, you would actually need this to go into effect and then you could exactly. potentially mount a legal challenge based on what has happened. You can't really take anybody to court over what hasn't on speculation. Exactly. So until something actually physically happens, you know, and it could come down to somebody saying, you know, I don't want a drone delivery from Amazon or something like that. They're they're, you know, damaging the calm of my animals or something like that. And Amazon still goes ahead and does a drone delivery. You know, that could be, you know, something that could lead down that path. But that's a whole lot of speculation. Yeah, I'm sure they just implement something like a do not call list, like a do not drone deliver list. <laughs> right. So um, what other questions? Uh, would it be, well, I don't know if the FAA is smart enough to do this, but would it be possible for a remote ID to be like uh, something that you solder to your existing drone or just add to so, it? So, Good question. Yes. It's a great question. And under the current proposal, no, that's not going to be an option. So there is no path in the current proposal for amateur builders, which is basically what they're calling us, um, to add a component to make it remote ID compliant. Um, they have basically put forth that uh, a, a couple of conditions. So let's say uh, get FPV or race day quads or you know, whoever sends you or they sell a kit um, that has all the parts and it has to have every single part from every piece of wire to every motor to the XT60 connector on down the line. It also has to include instructions on how to build it. Um, and you have to follow those instructions to the T. In that particular case, you could build one, it could be remote ID compliant, but that manufacturer, let's race day quads, would have to make sure that, or basically would have to be approved by the FAA to manufacture a remote ID. Um, now, there's a couple other ones. Uh, so let's say you were to go like we currently do, I go get on GetFPV, 
and I piece together a quad and I want this part. And, you know, I know a lot of people are flying that part, but I don't want that part. I want this part. Um, and I piece together my own uh, quad. That is not going to fly. You would be limited to, even if you could put a remote ID on there, you'd still be limited to a, uh, a Freya site, uh, a fixed site. So um, there's, a, there's a lot going on with that. Um, what else we got? So there's been like some. Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yep. Not per se like a question, but I think because I was watching that drone, you and I've been watching and watching a lot of these live streams. That I've seen a couple of ideas that have come across my screen about like if the commercial drones had a way to ID themselves to us, we could roll that right into beta flight, and there'd never be a problem. You know, in some fashion, that could be possible, but you're still going to have to have the technology on board your drone to detect. And um, then you're going to have to have the wherewithal to actually, uh, sorry, um, you're going to have to have the wherewithal to actually avoid that drone because 90% of us are going to be flying, actually 99% of us that fly FPV are going to be flying manual. So without some kind of automated process for detect and avoid, that doesn't really work. So it's not really a detect and avoid. Just enough. like even in our phones, it could just use the existing lamp system to tell mm -hmm. us that there's a drone coming within, uh, let's I, I, let's say a thousand feet of our current location. Mm -hmm. And your phone could ring and let you know that your air, they're about to come into the bubble that you created on lamp because. The problem with the remote ID is the what drone you said about the the state and towns being able to tax us on landings and takeoffs. Mm -hmm. States and towns could even start taxing us on our drones. I mean, and it's it just it opens up a whole world of crap for us to have to deal with aside from even just this. Yeah, I'm hope I'm hopeful that uh, detect and avoid is uh, limited to beyond visual line of sight. And so I, I think as we look at the, the design of standard uh, remote uh, ID UAS and then limited uh, remote ID UAS is that I, I believe there was a, you know, that the, the standard is, okay, we're going to use that as the starting point for uh, beyond visual line of sight. And so then there are a, a number of uh, uh technical as well as uh, policy and practice hurdles that need to be overcome in order to do legal uh, beyond visual line of sight and detect and avoid is so uh, near the top of that list so i think you know remote id is the start and then uh, once once they've got that figured out then they can start uh, working all right how are we going to integrate that into a uh, uh, unmanned uh, traffic management system and how do you utilize uh, you know, what's the appropriate and intelligent de uh, detect and avoid that you use yeah i mean all of that is great for the the unmanned yeah for the guy who's yeah for the guy who's going well for you know if you want to fly beyond visual line of sight so our thought is we're, we are pushing for a uh, a modified limited that would allow uh, some level, you know, we, we want things fuzzed up a little on beyond uh, visual line of sight. 
Um, for example, one of the, the classic examples is, you know, if I'm flying uh, on, if I'm standing on a uh, on a bridge and there and there are no no cars, nobody around, and I uh, take the uh, the my um, uh, UAS underneath the bridge, I'm technically beyond visual line of sight, even if, even though it could be 15 feet away from me. So you know, we're trying to uh, get that type of uh, you know that's one of the things we're pushing for. And, and so, we, we're well, you know, one of the things we welcome, you know, so please, you know, what are we missing in the documents we're producing? And, you know, we really do welcome if, if you know, you guys think, no, 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 that's a bad idea. You know, you know why, why don't you, you, know, you try uh, putting forward as a recommendation the following? We really are very interested in those ideas. Well, judging by, I mean, just the, the, the last thing I'm going to say, I'll, and then I'll keep listening. I mean, judging by the current status and current happenings that have come from the FAA. And I mean, maybe I might sound a little conspiracy theorist, but I mean, they released this proposal the day after Christmas. If that's not, a, I'm just going to be frank here because I'm tired of being politically correct. Um, if, if that's not a kick in the dick, I don't know what it is. Um, they're, they're not playing nice. They didn't listen to us at the DAC. They didn't listen to the DAC. And it's, I believe it's come down to like even going through how complicated these rules are getting. The more we play into that, the more complicated it's going to get. And I really think our motives need to be shifted. Just like I just said on that live stream, that we need to find a way to get everybody together right. versus complicating it more. And the only way everybody's going to come together is if it's simplified. Like we need petitions against them. We need lawyers to help, obviously. You know, I mean, there's a lot of money involved too. And I'm not just trying to throw money around, but we need a, a we need to create an arrowhead essentially. We need to create that whole pyramid from the community all the way up to just straight arrowhead right into them because they are not playing nice with any of us. I, I think you make a good point. Um, it's certainly uh, uh, you know when we put you know. Uh, weeks and weeks and weeks uh, into uh, uh, into the remote ID uh, uh, drone advisory committee uh, work, and then uh, the people who spent a year and a half on the aviation rule committee, and both of those significant pieces of work uh, were were ignored. And of course, the uh, the uh, drone advisory committee uh, pointed to a year and a half worth of work in the uh, ASTM uh, work group on uh, remote ID and tracking. So. Uh, yeah, a lot of us are stinging pretty, pretty bad. Our, uh, our current thinking is uh, we really should uh, try to get everyone moving in the same direction to align for the um, comment period that, of course, closes on March 2. Uh, and then, and, and in the same, in the same period, you know, what else can we be doing, as was mentioned, talking to congressional representatives, senators, uh, and then what do we do after the uh, after the comment period closes? How do we reach out and uh, and talk to and work with the FAA to try to move this in a positive direction? Those are some of the things that we're we're working on. It's probably not as um, uh, as Drew uh, uh, Camden was uh, uh, characterizing. Uh, uh, I guess we're a little more uh, conservative than uh, he would like. He wants to be a little more uh, aggressive. Well, so, I, mean, I would agree with his, with his statement on that, but you can only be so aggressive before, you know, it's just like backing an animal into a corner. You can only be so aggressive and 
and get somebody back into a corner before they just lash out and completely take us over. And that's where right. our problem lies is that in 2018, the Reauthorization Act made it so that the administrator of the FAA can promulgate any rules they want. They're not going to listen to us at this comment period. That 2018 Reauthorization Act made that possible. The main things that I think need to be focused on for that is that we've given underneath the sports medicine bill, we've given them that ultimate power that everybody that is, you know, 20 years old and up has been taught not to give to a government entity. There's right. points that I've made to gun owners that this is, this is the groundwork. This is going to be the groundwork that they're going to use in order to work onto guns. This is also like privacy laws. I mean, there's so many different things that are going to come from this that are going to just equal to bad things. And if we start using these things and start educating people, like I was talking to a guy today who was, com he, he was complaining about, you know, the corruption and whatnot and of, of the government. And I, I told him about the, the proposal and he almost lost his head. He almost lost his head because he doesn't want the delivery drones to go around. And that point that was made in the live stream about the fact that if we let, I mean, this proposal is going through whether we like it or not. We're not going to be flying after this becomes law. And three years after, it's not going to happen unless we change it before then, unless we get the petitions and the lawyers. And because that giving them that kind of power is what they are abusing, right? And it's only going to get worse. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I can't uh, disagree with much of what. No, no, I can't disagree with much of what you said because you know, you know, six months ago we would have said, well, let's see what they come out with with a remote ID. You know, we're we're getting you know uh, feedback and uh, and hints that uh, you know they're accepting the input, and they didn't. And so, so uh, now what's the uh, what's the different path we need to take? So uh, we can take a lot of tips from the gunfight. Yeah. Fight on on weapons. We can take a lot of tips from that because they are this fight is one in the same. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's... Well, it's become apparent to me that there's not going to be any coming together within the FPV community or the drone community. Period. So well, we're not we're not done we're not done yet. Uh, I have no, I, I have not given not... thirty days into this. Everybody's I know, going but to just right judging now. from you know what what the I've seen yeah, so far. Yeah, with the I, I think it's. Uh, I really think it's 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 a pipe dream. But so, has anyone reached out to other members of the DAC to get their take on it? Is there anybody else that's kind of in our ballpark? Because you know, you know, Drew wants us to be more, you know, aggressive. But we're also pragmatic in the sense that we know some form of this is coming and so we're just trying to you know make it a feasible system that we can all work within so that there is compliance um somebody yes. else on, yes, those, on the, that drone advisory the, committee has got to be in the same boat that we can team up with yes is the is the short answer to your question and we're um we are finding allies and support in organizations that uh, surprise have surprised me, um, like uh, AOPA, a ALPA, uh, organizations that are manned aircraft uh, associations uh, with aircraft manufacturers, uh, you know, so people who are explicitly outside of the drone industry 
are upset uh, by this and uh, supportive. And these are folks that are uh, that I've met through the the work that we're doing with the uh, the uh, the DAC tasking groups. And, Good. And yeah, because so I honestly think yes, we'll probably get everybody to make a comment, or they'll give their proxy to Bruce, whatever the case may be. But I, th I really right. think and it could be one in the, the trenches by making good partnerships with those individuals. And, and what the, the benefit of those relationships are, are that these are people who have worked with the FAA for decades, and they're uh, very helpful in, in offering us, you know, this is the best way to approach the FAA. And as uh, so we're taking and heeding that advice, that's one of the, the, the tips was you know, that we should be, you know, if we write a comment, make sure that it's personalized and unique. Don't do a, a copy and paste campaign. Uh, right, and, but also and then not it's, a fu either. So yeah. oh, exactly, yeah. Be, you know, as you know, uh, Bruce Simpson, uh, I I feel was absolutely right on the money when he described that you know we need to be professional, polite, and constructive, and you know, and and then to you know some of the other points, it's okay. That's for the comments in the comment period. You know, what are we doing, and what should we be doing? You know, subsequent to that, to you know, are, is it possible to sit down with some of the people writing the rules? How can we talk? We talk to them. Who who else should we be talking to? You know, we've got House and Senate subcommittees on uh, space and aviation. You know, what can we uh, get them? Question on where's XJet? You mean right now or physically? Physically, he's in New Zealand. Where is he right now? It's oh, right. Uh, yeah, he uh, tends to miss most it's... of our meetings and then complains he forgot about it or we didn't notify <laughs> well, him or something like that. Uh, he's that's dealing with uh, some personal issues with his yes, wife. Yes, he is. Uh, I mean, his daughter has stage four Yes, yes he is. And, yeah. Say, Dave, do you I'm, want to spend... I'm inclined to cut him a break. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you want to spend one minute and mention how the DAC and the ARC and the ASTM standards were surprised by what the FAA released? Yeah, the, so one of the things that we've, uh, through the work with the DAC, is we've, uh, we've had the privilege of meeting the people who worked on the Aviation Rule Committee that started, gosh, what was it, back in 2016, I think, finished up in 2018, uh, and then the, AS, um, the ASTM uh, F-38 work group. Uh, that was a year and a half project, uh, co-chaired by uh, a guy in Intel and another uh, fellow um, uh, uh, whose organization, uh, TriVector, is the company he's currently working for. Uh, so uh, these people had put in and worked closely with the uh, the FAA on these projects. The Aviation Rule Committee was chartered by the uh, the FAA, and uh, the whole purpose of it was to come up with uh, the start of uh, remote ID. Uh, and then uh, in from June to October of 2019, uh, the DAC was asked to put together recommendations on remote ID. So uh, we pulled together the, um, the co-chairs of the ASTM work. We used a lot of that and used uh, the technique of a reference standard. So we point to the ASTM standard. So there's consistency around the world. And so it was starting to line up with a number of sensible, simple uh, structures for here's beyond, you know, it was a mission or and tiered uh, structure. And that was what was put forward. And uh, as you can see, that was really uh, not, uh, you know, that was 
pretty much ignored. And so th that's the frustration, uh, certainly from us, and as well as the people who spent uh, years uh, volunteering their time to work on those uh, standards and committees. And those people that are frustrated are also include DJI and Google with Wing and all kinds of other corporations. They're also Absolutely. frustrated with this. Absolutely. Yeah, there's one of the one of the points that really gets gets me is that there's the level of regulation to have the device power off uh, on uh, that it can't take off uh, unless there's a, an internet uh, a connection on the limited. Uh, that that's really annoying, and you think about it, it's like, no, wait a second, that means I can't take this inside to a place that it's maybe it's a gymnasium and it's certainly there's no FAA regulation, but all of a sudden maybe I'm inside and I can't get an internet connection because I'm inside and so the it won't take off. You know, so it's things like that that are really maddening that so we're trying to go through in detail and uh, and piece it together. Another area uh, that we that we we are working on is uh, the assumptions and uh, data uh, resources. And so we've sent out a quick survey. Uh, the, uh, there's no grandfathering in the NPRM because uh, the assumption is that uh, the average uh, UAS owner owns two UAS and they have a, um, a lifespan of three years. And so you know, uh, certainly uh, the number I have is uh, a lot higher than that. And uh, the price point, that they uh, they cited for the average UAS is $114 US. So if you think about you know why would you why would you structure numbers like that? Because they if the lifespan is short and there are not many of the devices and they're inexpensive, then the discounted cost of these devices over a brief period of time is a small number. So you can uh, you know, tell people that you know get over it. Uh, they can live with uh, you know, replacing these devices with new devices. So that's one of the uh, uh, the things that we're working on is get some data. You know, respectfully, you know, hey, you know, the number that we have now is between nine and ten is the average number of uh, FPV drones that people own, uh, and the uh, the amount of time that the uh, uh, that they can exist is a long time because they really are much like uh, our favorite axe. You can replace the handle or the head and, uh, and keep flying. Um, and that was to one of the points that we're putting forward. Uh, there was a question early on about. Can I retrofit a transponder to one of these devices? And that, that we would like the uh, uh, that's one in our uh, recommendations. We're putting forward the idea of a an electronic module that carries the serial number, uh, so that uh, we can uh, bolt that onto an existing uh, FPV drone, and then it's a field replaceable, so I can plug that in from device to device, and that then tails back to the registration requirement. So a lot of this is uh, difficult because it's interdependent. Okay, I've been, have, I've been I've been yammering on. Yeah, question, please. Okay, yeah. So, um, what's the difference between standard and uh, what's it called? The limited. Limited. Yeah. Okay, and then there's the third category, the non-equipped. Josh, you want to do this one? I think you've got the definitions really. <laughs> well, the easiest way down. to yeah, the easiest way to describe it is uh, a standard will be required to connect to the internet and to broadcast. So basically, if you think about, let's break it down into two parts. You have your transmitter uh, in your hand. 
that's your ground station. So the FAA uses the term ground station pretty prolifically through the document. Um, so your transmitter is your ground station. So some part of that or your phone could act as your internet connection. So you'll have to be broadcasting all that information, uh, all the messaging from takeoff to landing. Yep. Yep. Also, your drone will have to have a piece of equipment on it to basically broadcast uh, over radio frequency. And that radio frequency, they want to basically be interfaceable with people's phones. So if you're flying your drone over my backyard, I can point my phone at your drone and be able to pull up all the info, and then I can call it in. Um, but it'll also give me the location of where you are. Now, the difference between that and limited is limited only requires the ground station to connect to the internet. Um, there is no broadcasting from the drone, and in fact, it's prohibited under limited. Um, standard grants you the ability to fly wherever. Um, as long as the 400-foot limit. Um, and, uh, as long as it's not in controlled airspace, you'd still have to get your Lance, uh, authorizations and whatnot. Limited would allow you to fly just about anywhere, but it would limit you to that 400 foot radius dome. Did that make sense? Did to me. Did that answer the question? So, so both standard and limited have to stay within 400 feet. No. No. Standard would be able to fly. The, the, the goal book behind standard is going to be beyond visual line of sight. Um, so, you know, the standard, those are going to be the one, the, the, the delivery drones, the, uh, you know, the hospital drones, the search and rescue drones, all that kind of stuff. Those are going to be the ones that are going to be likely to have the standard. Now, the ones that you might see come out of, uh, like, companies like GetFPV or... TBS or any number of these companies that are fully built units or fully kitted units are probably, if they're going to be anything, they're probably going to be limited. Um, but again, you know, it's it's kind of hard to call that at this point. Um, I would I would presume that most people flying recreational maximum they would have would be limited. Do you disagree with that, Dave? I I agree. I think that's uh, that's correct. Because if you're you, you start, there are other elements and other um, costs that you're going to have to incur to kick up to the uh, to fly. You know, why do I want a standard? I want a standard uh, the, uh, UAS so I can fly BVLOS. In order to fly BVLOS, I have there's probably other things I need to do uh, to make that happen, uh, like a, de a detect and avoid. So we're so for the in the immediate uh, time frame after this. Uh, rule goes into place. If it goes into place as is, uh, we would uh, utilize the existing rev uh, regulations of 107 and, and recreation, and then on top of that, we can anticipate beyond visual line of sight regulations. All right, thank you. Of course. All right, so <clears throat> we're about halfway through. I, I do want to kind of talk through our proposal a little bit. Um, I'm not going to go massively into depth because literally we can get lost in the weeds on this really quickly. Um, and we have to talk about the knowledge test. Yes, we do. So um, 
couple of things that I'm going to kind of gloss over really quick is we did put in a request for shielded operations. Um, basically, that would be fall under any operation that takes place in any airspace except over air traffic controlled airports. Um, those types of operations would not exceed an altitude of 50 feet over the tallest object within 100 lateral, lateral yards. So if you think about that, let's put that in, in layman's terms a little bit. You're flying in a park. The tallest object that you can possibly see around you, let's say it's the field lights for the soccer field. Uh, you would not be able to you, – you would be able to fly up to the height of those and 50 feet over to still fall within shielded operations. We are proposing that no remote ID would be necessary for that. Um, we are asking for specific language for UAS under 250 grams to not be um, – to not require remote ID. That is already in the proposal, but it's very vague, and we'd like to kind of lock that down. Um, we do put forth a couple of things for UAS without remote ID. Um, so as an example, how many of you have used Lance before? Hopefully quite a few of you, hopefully. Um, if you have or you haven't, uh, if you have, you know you just easily go into an app like Kitty Hawk or AirMap. Um, you basically put in where you're flying at. Uh, it gives you authorization. Usually it pops up pretty quick. We're basically asking for the same thing for uh, our drones that are not equipped with remote ID. Instead, you'd basically draw a polygon on the map where you're going to be flying. You'd put your FAA registration number in, maybe a time frame, and your phone number. Um, with that, people or uh, FAA would know, hey, there's a person flying here. They could post that stuff to the the remote USSs, which are the U or the UTMs, the unmanned traffic management systems. Um, and everybody that would be possibly flying a drone, a manned aircraft, anything, could get a notification that says, hey. Uh, there's a guy flying here. It doesn't have any personalized information beyond your FAA registration ID um, and a phone number to contact you just in case something happens. So for an example, let's say a fire breaks out and they need to uh, bring in a bunch of fire trucks and, and whatnot. We all know you're not supposed to be flying over the scene of an emergency, so they quickly text you, send you a call, send you a notification that says, hey, there's a fire, please land your UAS. Pretty easy. Um, <clears throat> any questions on that? Because I want to kind of clarify that if there are. Was, was the Lance proposal in front of the FAA prior to the draft of being released? Uh, this this actual what I'm asking you or what what we're asking for? Yeah, I thought that that was proposed. It was prior to the rulemaking in the fall. It sure was. Uh, it actually was proposed by the DAC. Um, a very basic, that very basic uh, request was proposed to the FAA before this rulemaking. Yes. Um, so, so I guess what's the differentiator now, and is the AMA in support of these? What we're asking. I mean, are they? Have they? Have we coordinated with them? Are they like, yeah, it seems reasonable? Because uh, they have a, 
you know, seat at the table. Uh, they do have a seat at the table. Um, on the flip side of that, based on the FAA's, uh, or sorry, the AMA's uh, responses to what they're, what uh, the NPRM is, it's not something they're interested in. Uh, it seems like they are interested in maintaining their flying fields, um, being able to fly in their backyards without a 400-foot radius. Uh, they don't want to register every UAS. And uh, I think there's one more, but it has nothing to do with negating remote ID. So, <clears throat> you know, I I will say that we we have partnered with them in terms of giving them information, stuff that we're working on. Um, but the partnership hasn't quite been equal. So, you know, I, I'd be happy to sit down at a table with them and discuss this stuff. Um, I know this stuff has been uh, pretty uh, pretty shared out across the, the Facebook groups. I'm sure somebody's gotten this. I think this particular, our proposal has been shared 57 times off our Facebook page to any number of Facebook sites that I can't even track down. Um, so, you know, it's in the hands of a lot of people and, you know, hopefully we can have a conversation about it. But um, unfortunately right now it doesn't seem like they're, the interest is there from that standpoint. <clears throat> so is the strategy to kind of come together from our side of the table, I guess, and come to the FAA with this, um, with this, this proposal in, in, in this proposal in numbers and absolutely that breaks through. That's the, At not, it's not like the AMA is against it. It's just, they're not for it either. They're just doing their own thing. And exactly. And so yeah, the, the, basically what we've been, uh, over the last couple of days, uh, probably last week trying to do is, is gather as many voices as we can. Um, so Dave and I did a Bardwell interview. Um, we've done some conversing with uh, some other parties. Uh, we've talked to companies. We've talked to other communities, uh, both FPV and not FPV, um, all who have issues with this NPRM. And through that, uh, the goal is, yes, to pull the community together as, as tightly as we can and circle the wagons and speak with you know, a voice that says, hey, we're we're concerned and these are some great proposals. Let's start looking at this stuff. Um, but like Steve was saying earlier, you know, I think right now a lot of it to, to kind of come back to what Steve was saying is that, yes, there uh, there's a lot of divisiveness in the community right now and for a lot of different reasons. And I think a lot of that is stemming from the fact that people are worried. And they don't know who to point the finger at. Not that they necessarily need to, but some people feel they need to point the finger at somebody. And um, we're trying to work through that and pass that so that we can kind of get to the point where uh, we're, we're kind of talking the same language. Um, I, I think it was Dan that posted the, the seven stages of grief or the nine stages of grief or whatever it was, Dan. Yeah, yep. Seven, I think. We need to get... Yeah, we need to get the acceptance and work through it phase pretty quick. Um, but uh, uh, anyway, uh, any other questions on the no or UAS without remote ID? I just want to make sure that's clear. Does does that seem like it's a burden to do to to pull up an app and and draw a polygon on a on a map? 
Um, isn't that already implemented? Because I know every time I fly, I contact um, my Air Force, the watchtowers, and I tell them where I'm going to be flying, when I'm going to be flying, and how high I'm going to be flying. So doesn't that just already do what we're already supposed to do? So that's a that's an interesting question. So a lot of times that stuff is supposed to be taken care of through lands, and that's when you're operating in controlled airspace. That doesn't necessarily give them... And ahead, we are Dave. and we are no longer supposed to call uh, air traffic control, air traffic management, and they are not supposed to take our calls there. So this was shifted for recreational on June, July 13 of this past year. Can I add something to that? Please. Absolutely. All right. So I have I live in a Class D airspace, and they just started allowing you to. Um, outside of Lance request a uh, waiver for flying in controlled airspace. I happen okay. to get one. Since it is a class D and it is related to a DOD facility, I still have to call have... the tower. Oh, I'll, I'll be darned. Okay. That's a, yeah, that's and that an was exception. An... I was, thank you. Thank you for the clarification. And I assume that since you're getting a waiver, you're a, a, a 107 um, operator. No, this is recreation. Mm -hmm. They at, you can actually go to uh, their drone website and um, file a waiver request. So that is true. For yeah, that is very true. So if your airport or facility that um, is in controlled airspace is not on Lance, you can go to the drone zone and request a waiver. Um, sometimes it. How long has it taken you? I'm I'm curious because I've never had to do that. I it took less than a week. Okay. So you got to be able to plan ahead a little bit in order to, to do that, but it is possible. Well, it's good. It's good for two years. Oh, really? They actually extended it wow. beyond the time frame that's I like wanted. A it's like a co -op. That's perfect. Jeez. That's, that's really awesome. Okay. So good so, information. And I, I, yeah, and I, I'd called the tower because they put in the paperwork the number I'm specifically supposed to call, and I called, and the tower manager you know, got pretty upset with me. So I called the drone, the 1-800 number from yeah. the uh, FAA website. And they were, I mean, they went out of their way. They actually called the tower manager and talked wow. to him about it and said, this specific person is allowed to call you and has to tell you because you're a DOD facility. And we want to make sure like if, you know, Marine one shows up in your airspace, he needs, you need to call him and tell him, get hmm. Wow. Good that's for awesome. you for persevering, and good for the yeah. uh, the FAA team to follow up. Yep, that's really. I good. was I was surprised because they, I mean, they called me back and left a couple messages until they actually got me to, uh, you know, answer. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> I know, right? See, now if Somebody you had remote ID, that. no, I'm only kidding. Just a little joke. So, um, all right. So I'm gonna move on. Uh, one of the things that. Uh, the next things would be uh, kind of a blending of standard and limited. And this would basically allow us, the, the, the proposal that we're asking for is that we are capable of taking a component that is a FAA approved and retrofitting it to any existing UAS to satisfy remote ID. Um, so uh, through that, uh, we kind of, go through what the component would need 
in order to be successful with that. So it would need to have a serial number, a lot of the same things that they're asking for in the in their proposal, um, but restricted to just that RID component. So it have to be a, have to have a serial number, should be resistant to tampering, so you can't spoof it or change uh, the data that it's reporting. But uh, key would be would be able to swap, be able to be swapped from one UAS to another, one drone to another. So just, just I could a, pop it off. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say it, all data can be spoofed and or modified. It, you you're gonna make it as resistant as possible, but exactly, I, I, I guarantee that it will be well, cracked at some point. <laughs> This thing that they 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 get hung up, and this is a question you maybe can help me understand, is they get hung up on the concept of the, your build has to be approved for it to be legal. Right. Trying to not allow for illegal builds, and we get into that constantly. Like, guys, criminals don't follow laws, so it doesn't matter what law you make to try to inherit it they're just not going to follow it you know right so i i'm real fuzzy on what i don't and you know people are making regulations behind that you know they're doing their best they can but they're right. not drone pilots they're not pilots period most most of the time um they're yeah they have different degrees and things but <laughs> it, it, do you have is there any way to break through that? You know, it's inherent across all regulations to some extent. Well, I think this is kind of where, you know, I think it was just Josh was kind of talking about the gun regulations. And while I don't want to get into a gun topic, you know, there there are some similarities in which, you know, criminals, you can, you can outlaw certain things. You can outlaw assault rifles. You can outlaw drones without remote ID. But... But criminals are not going to comply with that kind of stuff. And I think we've been having that conversation for decades. Um, and we still haven't broken through that yet. Um, so I think that a lot of people, a lot of legislators and a lot of people making these regulations think that, oh, this will fix everything. But it's not a cure-all. The people that are going to follow the regulations are going to be the law-abiding citizens. And the one of the you know when we look at the document and it says, well, we think that a very high percentage of the existing fleet of UAS can be software upgradable to comply with the all of these new rules, and of course our heads, collective heads, hit the desk because you know the answer is zero. No, you know the best DJI systems cannot be uh, software upgraded to be compliant. You know, and certainly none of none of the FPV uh, drones that uh, we fly can be software upgraded. So we're going to we're looking carefully at the assumptions in terms of what did they create to to base their rationale on? Why did they think this was a viable set of uh, rules? And you know, we don't we don't see a lot of logic in the foundational uh, assumptions, and we're going after those as well. What, what is the what is the stumbling block that we don't think like a transponder can be mounted to a a racing drone? What mm -hmm. is the is it the avoid and detect? It's not the transponder part. Um, so we might not no... like the weight. We, you might not like the signal, but it can be put on. 
Um, yeah, it can. And there's no talk in the document about avoid and or detect and avoid. That conversation hasn't even started yet. Um, I happen to think that's going to be you know more in in tune with the BVLOS uh, or Beyond Visual Line of Sight conversation. But you know, with in terms of this, I think I I don't understand why they wouldn't allow for a retrofit. It doesn't make sense. And I mean, the way we've proposed it here, you have a serial number on the retrofit component. It's resistant to tampering, despite you know, it, it it's it's you know it's resistant to tampering, and we're just going to leave it at that. No, it's the point of if you want to tamper, if you're a person that wants to tamper with it, you just won't put it on to begin with, and you're you're a criminal at that point. And you're just going to do whatever you want, no matter what the rule is. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I think the FAA is trying to make it as hard as possible that you know that you can't tamper with it because it's built well, into the functionality of the drone. Yeah, I mean, there's a differentiation between. I guess the criminal activity versus look, I'm going to just hack this thing and remove my geofencing, which, you know, I, yeah, sure, that could be considered criminal activity per se, but I think we got to differentiate that. So, tamper proof, I, I gotcha. think, you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, like there's gradations in between, right? There are, and and you know, I specifically when I wrote this, I, I specifically did not say tamper-proof. I said resistant to tampering because nothing's tamper-proof. We all know that. Um, if you have the tools and it can, if it can be built, it can be reverse engineered and it can be tampered with. So it's pretty cut and dry. Um, I think some of the co- parts in the NPRM proposal from the FAA that uh, make it a little more difficult is they want to be able to not allow the drone to take off if it's not connected properly. Right. That's that's where, you know, the FAA and a retrofit component differ greatly because it's not going to have that kind of control. At most, you'd hook in your, um, your GPS, if you have one, to it. And uh, from that point on, you kind of, it has a barometer built in, and it, it starts broadcasting in whatever frequency it needs to broadcast. Um, the FAA is looking for that to broadcast in cell phone uh, <clears throat> compatible uh, bands. So a lot of that kind of centers around Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. Well, those don't have the range. Um, you know, there are some long-range Bluetooth 5.0, but you know, it, I'm skeptical at best at, at what the range is on that. So, you know, there are some differences, but, you know, in order to be able to retrofit the entire existing fleet of UAS in the in, in the U, in the national airspace, um, they have to have a component that we can add. Otherwise, we're all just going to, you know, if you want to be compliant, you're just going to toss your drone in the trash or you're going to go fly at a fixed flying site. But the problem is, is that these companies that work professional and commercial jobs, think about all the movie style, the cinematic uh, drones that they use for creating TV shows and movies. Think about the ag drones, the agricultural drones, the uh, mapping drones, all these other. Uh, all so these does it other have to UAS. include the, the red camera when you buy it? <laughs> and What's then that? You, does it have to include the red camera when you buy it and remote idea? If you detach the red camera, is it no longer compliant? Right. You know, it's all these people have all these very sophisticated, very expensive drones that can't be retrofit and they're just garbage and they can't do business with them. 
you know, and, and that's a, that's a bad deal all around. So, you know, in some regards, we can sit here and say commercial's the problem. Commercial wants to do delivery. Commercial is is using the the DJIs and the the uniques and and all these other guys. But at the same time, they're getting hit just as hard as on this as we are. And, you know, it's it's time for not just the uh, FPV or recreational or model aircraft community to band together, but UAS pilots all together need to come together on this. Yeah, along those lines, one I saw a comment a little while ago talking about um, FPV racers, and the comment I think was something along the lines of, "Well, they don't need uh, remote ID," and it's true, no, no need to get into that point. But we are re- reaching out to try to talk to the racing organizations because they have a great reach. And we know these are people who fly FPV and many of them can uh, make uh, post comments to the um, uh, to the FAA. And they're uh, organized in the sense that they usually belong to a local club. So it's a they have a, a already a way to communicate with each other. So we're trying to tap into that and share everything that we've created, all the materials that we've got. So one one more community, and if if anyone thinks of uh, you know, other groups, please you know let us know. Do you want, uh, Josh, do you want, shall I mention the knowledge test? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't even see the time, Dave. I'm sorry. Um, I have no. one last question. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, okay, so you were talking earlier about drones that are used for business like uh, cinematography and agricultural. Um, mm-hmm. What are the chances that those companies would get approval for remote ID, your standard? You know, is it is it just uh, speculated that larger corporations will get approved for it? Or? I I personally would imagine that the the bigger companies that are making these drones. Um, and I'm going to kind of easily point at DJI here because they're one of the biggest, they're, they're probably have the best and most resources are going to probably be capable of making that transition a little quicker than others. Now, that's not to say that smaller companies that there's a lot, there's a lot of very specific, like agricultural fixed wings that people use, um, that eventually, those companies would be able to kind of come around. Now, it also may come down to companies that are producing the remote ID technology, license that technology out to other other manufacturers, and by proxy kind of get that approval. Um, but, you know, who's to say? It, it's, we don't know. Um, chances are that the, the people making the professional-grade equipment is going to are going to uh, get that that uh, that approval first, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You know, one thing in, in addition to the, the being able to retrofit, I, I do think you should make clear that what 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 I, what I would not want on the table is having to send uh, a drone off to a service center to be retrofitted. This should be something that can be installed by. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Absolutely. Honestly, it needs to be able to uh, be powered off the FC, maybe take off, take up a UART and move on with life, you know. And personally, if it were me and it was a component that I was going to have, I'd buy one, maybe two, but probably 
hopefully one. And I just put little pigtail plugs for that part and just plug it in, zip tie it down, and move on with right. my life. Move it along like you do the GoPro. So, yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, so, the tricky part is the won't let you take off unless it's connected to the internet. I've been racking my brain on that. Yeah. And source software we can add modules we can add code but it no matter you know you can add closed source modules to the code but then it's still open source firmware i don't know how you overcome that without and that's the thing is is and in our proposal we're not recommending that we're just recommending you know a retrofit component and you know that's what it, it it exists it doesn't hamper hamper the uas it doesn't do anything except just broadcast that messaging so yeah, uh, because it's people. I, to to interject. the masses to me, it's the trying to break through with the FAA that we're trying to get the masses of drones that are just going to make, that are sold at Best Buy to be more safe for people that are lay and not, you know, addicted to the hobby like we all are. And then, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then a path for folks like us on this call that want to follow the law and not be worried about it. And we'll go out of our way to do that. And I think that's most people. It's right. just we need a path. And if right. we don't have a path, people are just going to do it illegally. Right. Exactly. Right. It, that's it, the thing. You're going to, it's, yeah. I was saying the same Unreasonable. Right. Unreasonable regulations will, right. Un, unreasonable regulations will force large scale non compliance. We believe that yep. for Yeah. Yep. So, so other, other questions? Yeah. Uh, quick, quick, quick question. So let's assume for a second that we get the retrofit component approved, uh-huh. and I can take my existing, say, five hundred gram five inch quad and put a put a transponder on it. And then, let's say I have GPS on my quad, and it actually knows exactly where it is and how fast it's going, and it sends that information to the FAA. I'm doing flips and all kinds of crazy stuff and moving around real fast. Do we have some kind of path to say if we give them that information, they're not going to come down later and say that's reckless flying, that's got to stop? Because there's a big difference between <laughs> flying surveillance with a fixed wing or a traditional, you know, like DJI product and right. FPV racing and freestyle. That's not. Well, the FAA should not even have the ability to judge a safe flight versus an unsafe flight. <laughs> They don't know the specifics. And and here's the thing is, you know, I could be doing, let's say you were doing all those flips and tricks and, and whatnot uh, in the middle of downtown New York, which, number one, would be a bad idea anyway. But um, with all those people, all those cars, all those whatever, versus doing all those same tricks out in the middle of nowhere. They don't know how to judge specifics. I could be in a park with a lot of people. I could be in a park with, no people. It just, you know, they're not going to have enough information to be able to judge that. Now, where that's going to come back on you is, let's say, um, you go flying and you intrude on the airspace of a forest fire. Then they're going to be like, well, you passed into this airspace during a forest fire. Uh, you shouldn't be flying there. Let's have a chat. Um that's kind of where that information would kind of spool out, I think. Um, Dave, do you disagree with that? I don't. I was responding to a, a, a written text. <clears throat> so, you know, I don't... But if that's the purpose, a polygon is clearly sufficient. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, you're not so. giving them you're not giving them any information. And I mean, you're giving them the information of this is my flying zone. This is where I'm going to be for the next hour. Um, and your your drone itself, let's say you you do have remote ID on there. Um, all that's doing, it's not connecting to the internet. There's no information going anywhere. It's broadcasting via radio frequency in its local area. So maybe it has half a mile, mile radius. Why do I need a transponder if my drone already sends telemetry? They could totally pick that out as is, right? Say, say one more time, I'm sorry. So if your drone has the telemetry capability, you can snoop on the ISM band and pick up the telemetry. You can, but the... It's not the, as high power. I, I'll agree with you there. Yeah, you can. and But the problem lies in that the FAA wants local law enforcement and uh, other you know enforcement uh personnel to be able to pick up that information with common commonly acquired right. technology and as easy as possible and they want it to connect to a smart device and they're so trying a tablet, to appease the public and say that they can use their cell phones also to watch what's you know what's flying in their neighborhood local law enforcement enforcing faa regulations is actually against the original motives of the faa the original motives of the FAA is that they had their FRAs to enforce their their um, air laws and local and state police. It even still states it in the law today that FRAs enforce the air and the local and state cannot do that. No, but what can happen here, guys, in terms of enforcement is that, uh, let's say a police officer uh, – notices you doing something somebody calls and complains uh they can cite you for something simple like disturbing the peace then they can take your information your drones now evidence in that in that issue and they can forward that over to the leap program which is the law enforcement assistance program of the faa well, they have a whole section of their website dedicated to it that's when it becomes the faa's issue um well that's cute so yeah, exactly. It is cute, isn't it? Um, so, you know, yes, local law enforcement can get you in trouble with the FAA. It's just a roundabout process. Now, it does come down to the fact that is local law enforcement going to care? That's going to differ on a locality to locality basis. You know, it, some 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 areas may care, others may not. It, it really just depends. And it's going to be like playing Russian roulette to figure out who does care. You know, and that's that's part of the problem. So, I had a comment uh, with with the rules that are proposed. I don't see any mention of FPV at all. Like it, it's like FPV doesn't exist. Um, right. So it and, it uh, defaults back to the uh, current recreational recre exceptions. And mm -hmm. then uh, on on top of that, I think that all the rules are kind of like. For, like freeway rules for big trucks, you know, it's for the delivery drones. Mm, no, it's not for the delivery. Ex explicitly, it's not for delivery drones. That's a different uh, certification, Part 135, if I'm not mistaken. Someone on, uh, on the on the so Discord can correct me if I've got the number wrong. It just seems like over overkill for. Um, it's kind of like my thought was, you know, if you compared it to bicycles versus cars or on the freeway, you know. Um, bikes can ride alongside cars on on city streets, but well, we don't, I, I, we don't I think need this, headlights. We don't need. Right. I think the yeah. standard the standard 
remote ID UAS makes sense if you have in mind, okay, this is going to be beyond visual line of sight, and I, you know, that's what I really want to do. I want to go out and do long distance. Okay, got it. And I then I would agree with you completely that then the limited and the non-equipped are just, you know, they make my head explode. They're big time overreach. Uh, yeah, because if you look at the the most innovative companies, not just in FPV, but things like the Skydio drone, you know, you take your mountain bike out, it follows you around. There shouldn't, like, there needs to be some exception for people who are just using, these are like riding a bike or a scooter or a moped or, or a motocross bike off-road or things like that. It's not really, there shouldn't be any need for any of that, you know? Yeah, that becomes a, a full remote system. That's no longer you controlling it. Yeah, it fully, becomes autonomous. Fully yeah. autonomous, right? Well, that would be covered under your shielded proposal, correct? And yes, like actually, it would. Follow drone. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. <clears throat> so would we need, uh, like, under the way, the way it's proposed right now, you, you still need, like, legally you need a spotter? Uh, yep. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think I can see better... With my goggles. <laughs> <laughs> we're laughing. Yeah, we're laughing because we wrote that into the proposal and we've caught a little bit of gas about it, but uh, we have. We, but we, it's we there. agree. Yep. <clears throat> about uh, halfway down on page five, we do talk about FPV equipped UAS and being able to see better and, and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So it's there. It's, it's there. Uh, XJet Bruce put out a great video a while back on that exact topic um so uh check that out uh it was a great video thanks since you invoked are you is there any coordination he's trying you know he's he's surmounting an effort on his own for, are we talking are we talking he, to bruce is that what that. you're asking yes yeah, yes. Yes, yes we are yeah he's on <laughs> yeah, he's on this he's on this call we are uh oh. we're absolutely uh, talking to Bruce and uh, you know supporting uh, what he's doing and uh, you know and we uh, are very grateful to uh, his support and mentions of uh, FPVFC. Yes, we all are working on this. Uh, Dave, do you want to do? Uh, I saw. I'm sorry, I took all your time. No, no problem. So when I used to sell structural analysis software, the uh, 3D modeling guys always gave me about two minutes to talk about structural analysis. So I feel very, very comfortable in this position. Here's so, your two minutes. Exactly. <laughs> so in, in addition to uh, working on the remote ID NPRM, as some of you may recall way back in uh, November, December timeframe, uh, the FAA announced that 12 companies were awarded the uh, privilege of providing requirements for the uh, ideas for administration of the UAS recreational test. So this happened, so we get together in Washington, D.C. Uh, next Tuesday, and uh, so I'll I'll be there. And uh, Dan and I have worked on the proposal on the RFI that uh, we were. Uh, that's why we were awarded as one as, as one of the twelve. Uh, and they have us have a bunch of questions now. So what's interesting is the FAA has parsed this so that 
what we will be talking about is the administration of the test and not the test, not the content, not the questions. And so we keep asking about the questions because we're saying, you know, it's tough to do the administration if you don't know what the content of the question is. But the, the good news is we'll be there with a, a number of peers. Uh, one of the questions was, are we uh, talking to Horizon Hobbies? Horizon Hobbies is one of the companies that are there. So a number of, uh, a couple of companies that we have not yet spoken with will be in the room and I, I'm, I will hope to uh, capture them and talk to them about remote ID um, when we're there. But uh, I will probably post uh, the document that I'm looking at, which is uh, all of these detailed questions about the administration of the test and our uh, answers, our proposed answers to the FAA. It's going to be a, a walkthrough of a, a series of questions, uh, an all-day meeting to do this, and it had to be face-to-face. -face. Uh, so I'm flying down to DC to uh, provide uh, our, our responses. And as always, the, uh, the, the benefit to, to us is that we're meeting people uh, not only in the FAA, which is valuable, but also uh, our mm -hmm. colleagues uh, who are in the same boat we are. And that's probably more than anyone really wanted to know about the uh, <laughs> the, <education. laughs> the, educa the, the knowledge test. We don't think yeah. it'll be difficult, but we'll, as soon as we are able uh, to say anything, we'll say, we'll describe what the content is. Oh, and you're, the, you know, they want us to be, the objective back in 2018 was that a CBO would administer the test. So we continue to uh, work toward becoming a CBO, and uh, that's why we are a 501c3. That was one of the requirements. That's why we have safety guidelines published. So we're working in that direction. The nice thing about you know being recognized for the knowledge exam is that I'm sure the FAA has done their uh, respective due diligence on the FPBFC. So, you know, having those uh, safety guidelines, having the resources on the website, having all that information out there, I'm sure helped us get that as well as the great work that Dave and Dan put on to, put into that RFI, the request for information on that. So we're, we are hoping that uh, we do get to facilitate that test. And uh, if, if, you know, necessary, um, and hosting a lot of the educational material on our website and, and whatnot, and making that as accessible as possible. So um, any last questions that I can answer on the NPRM? Any last concerns, comments, yeah. anything? So on a previous um, live stream, Drew, and I hate to throw anybody under the bus, but he he's promoting a potential bill. Yeah, it's a Senate. Remember. It's a Senate. It's a Senate bill that um, yeah. was introduced by Senator Mike Lee of Utah back in right. uh, October of 2019. I looked into it, and um, it's gone through one percent of the process. And um, uh, Senator Lee is a, a Republican, and that's important because you know. Um, uh, Majority Leader um, McConnell will, you know, is the one who would be bringing that to the uh, to the floor if it got out of committee. Uh, Senator Lee is on the subcommittee for uh, space and aviation. 
Uh, we've asked around, and we understand that Senator Lee, along with Senator Feinstein, introduced an almost identical bill in 2017, and that one did not get anywhere either. And so the advice I was given uh, so far is it's a distraction. It's not going anywhere. And these are from people who are pretty well tied in to uh, the D.C. area. Uh, if anyone wants, we can post. It's uh, 27 pages. Uh, we've got the PDF of the of the bill, and it is, uh, uh, I don't think it's gotten out of conference yet. So basically, we're not going to be, you're not going to be pursuing that. And my whole thing is, you know, based on the way that Drew talked about it, it, it kind of has an underlying premise of I'll fly here until someone tells me I can't. Well, I don't think that's well, it, it has it, there's some gotchas in the bill that and so I don't know if anyone here was also following what was going on with the uniform tort work across the country, which happily in my view uh, has been set aside for a couple of years until uh, remote ID and other regulations are settled down. Similar to uh, the tort work, the uh, the Senate bill that Senator Lee has um, uh, put put forward um, allows local municipalities, uh, local and state, to establish the laws that they want to manage and control uh, the you know, property, of course, but uh, the airspace up to 200 feet. Now there are some tantalizing shielded operations uh, descriptions in there. But uh, the when a local municipality has the ability to manage the airspace up to 200 feet, and explicitly one of the things they're um, putting in this or this in this bill is you need to gain the permission of the landowner to do a flyover. Built uh, if you're flying under 200 feet. And so immediately, um, I'm in uh, the state of New York, so one of the most highly taxed states in the country. So I worry about, oh, my gosh, if a local municipality got a hold of this, you know, they'll be delighted to have drones land and take off in their parks for just a small fee. And then, you know, as we tie in remote ID, it's like, oh, my gosh. And then they're going to get a hold of remote ID information. This is just, you know, this is too much. So... Yeah, the, I agree. those are some. Those are some of the reasons why uh, my recommendation is for uh, our team to not pursue it. And if, yeah, if any, agree. if and anyone would... reads through it and says, "No, no, you know, you, you know, you guys should really look at this further," we are, you know, we're very interested in you know listening and and having that having that discussion. We did look into it, uh, um, but you know, it's not something that um, that we feel sh we should pursue. Any other questions, comments, concerns? What are the action items you need from, like, what help do you guys need? Uh, biggest, what a, what, biggest, a great, yeah. what a great close. <laughs> it is a great close. Call so the action. The, absolutely. Yeah. So the biggest thing right now, guys, is to go through our talking points and poke holes in it. Um, really give it the once the twice the third over let us know what needs to be fixed let us know what we missed uh let us know where you know maybe we overreached a little bit you know those are the kinds of things we need to know so that we can put out a, a solid full bore set of talking points that people can use to write their responses even more so than that um 
make sure and not copy and paste uh, either our response or anybody else's because the uh, FAA, uh, we have heard that they use software that goes through, compares everything, and a copy and paste will not do anybody any good. So if there's a hundred or a thousand comments that all say the same thing, um, they will all those will count as one if it's all just copy and paste. And the okay, other, so that's key. the other, the other piece for, as you're thinking about your own uh, submission, and it would take a couple of minutes, is a brief story, personal story about what's the benefit of FPV and what's the impact that these regulations would have. And even further than that is how drones have impacted your life, how flying yeah. FPV has impacted your life. Right. Um, there are plenty of people out there that uh, have stories to tell, and those stories are going to be the ones that are going to make a difference. So um, those are going to be key. But right now, for the immediate you know, next week, two weeks, let's you know beat up on our proposal uh and and we don't take offense i will i will and dave will and dan will will all take all your considerations into into you know and and look at it on its merit and figure out is this something we we need to add is this something we need to take out do we need to patch this up uh because that's going to be key so um yeah that's that's the immediate and then as we get closer to march 2nd you know, start writing your responses, start making them well thought out. If you want, um, and Drew asked this on Facebook yesterday, um, if you want to write one response on one topic, do it. And then write a second response on a different topic. Nobody wants to read a five or 10 page dissertation. And uh, by the time they get through the whole thing, they're going to be bored to tears. And so if you want to break it up, you can, you can leave more than one comment. If you don't get your comment right, Go back in and fix it. Um, write them again. Uh, there's no restrictions on the number of comments that you can leave. And I am going to wrap this up. Hang on one second. Um, if you've got more questions, now's the time to answer them because I'm going to close this so, out here pretty quick. So one thing to think about is working with Bruce to um, – get a message out on like the direction over the next month or two, you know, over the next month and a half. Right. On, hey, this is out there. Please comment, you know, Hey, right. You start... One thing that comes to mind is you hear a lot of stories in FPV where um, in some cases people will say that like save them, you know, save them because of, you know, it's an addicting hobby. So you have an addicting personality and it, you know, it, it gave them a good pr productive way to use that. But those are the stories that, I think can propose right. a right. I heard a great compelling thing today. And to get FPV, that message out there, FPV yeah. is the antidote to the ad addicted gamer. Yeah, yeah things, things like that. Well, right. Yeah, when, well, when gaming turns of... into something that's unhealthy. Well, they just put gaming up on the disability list for Social Security disability. Oh Jesus! <laughs> well, okay. but. But to have to use that microphone of Bruce's channel to talk about that kind of stuff to absolutely not everybody might not be thinking about that. So that's some input that I was for you guys. Does anybody want to get on a game of Star Trek? <laughs> 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 oh, um, you guys are awesome! I love it. That's funny. Love it. Okay. <clears throat> All right, guys. Uh, at the time of this uh, meeting, there are. Hang on, I'm going to click on it. 
Right now, the front page says 4,011, but if you go into them, usually there's more. Uh, it actually says less. Um, right now, 4,011 comments. Another page says 3,942, so they're pretty close. Right. Um, so, um, but so guys, not there's admitting as many as they were before because the first day was it the first day after it was um, up there, and they had that little excerpt on the side that says that they can omit any comments that yes. they find, you know, and all that stuff that it says right there. There, I saw out of the 40 or 50 comments that were up there at that point in time, out of the 180, <clears throat> there was at least 20 of them were the same guy saying the same exact thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think TextJet, uh, who's in our chat there, discovered that they only update that number. Is it once a day or something like that? So it's not like a live number yeah. of how many comments there are. Yeah, as of 11.59 p.m. yesterday, so... But um, at any rate, guys, keep in mind, there's no rush to respond immediately. Um, take some time. You know, if you're going to use our talking points, which I highly recommend so that we're all kind of speaking with one voice, um, let it kind of sit for a week or two until it, it, it starts to form concrete here. And then uh, use those talking points to, to put together your response. And I would say um, it's the... Uh... The public, well, the, the awareness of this is sort of going to diminish over the next few weeks, and we're going to want a, a huge push in the middle of, end of February to make sure everybody did get their, their comments, comments in and didn't in. forget about this. Absolutely. So, um, but yeah, take some time and, and make it personal and make it uh, professional and uh, share what it is to you and, and the direction that we need to go. All right. So with that, thank you all for attending. This is probably one of our biggest meetings yet. Do we uh, have a we... schedule for when the next one will be? Uh, I think we're going to do two weeks from today. So uh, we'll be looking at, and I'll post it on the Facebook. 22. Uh, 22, yeah, the 22nd of January. All right, guys? Uh, if you have any questions on this uh, stuff, don't hesitate to reach out. Um, We've been on this pretty much for a, a week straight, week and a half straight. And, uh, you know, we know it pretty forwards and backwards by this point. So if you have a question, there's no stupid questions. And uh, we'll try and get you an answer if we don't know the answer. All right, guys. Have a good night.